It's good to see all of you here today. We come to the latter half of chapter 5 of Galatians. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit figures strongly in this passage. <clears throat> Let's think first of all about the words of John the Baptist. Found in Matthew 3.11, <clears throat> he said that one was coming after him that was greater than he was, and that one would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. John would baptize with water, but Jesus would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. He would, as it were, immerse us in, help us be controlled by, surrounded with, and have the Holy Spirit there to help us. A very, very important promise. At the Last Supper, we find in John 14, verse 17, something very important that Jesus shared with them. <clears throat> He told them about the Holy Spirit at the Last Supper, <clears throat> and we want to say more about what he told them. <clears throat> but one of the very significant things he said, that the Holy Spirit is with you and he shall be in you. Throughout the Old Testament, very often the Holy Spirit would come upon people like Samson for special tasks then apparently he would withdraw. But here at the Last Supper, <clears throat> Jesus told him that he is with you, but he's going to be in you. And we might add he's going to be in you in an ongoing sense, in a permanent sense. So in a sense, that's an improvement, isn't it? <clears throat> they could not always be physically in the presence of Jesus, but now the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ would indwell them and would be with them forever. Well, what happened after the resurrection? John 20, we find various things that happened that first Easter evening. <clears throat> Jesus was there. He appeared to them in his resurrected body. And in verse 22, he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then this becomes expanded, as it were, in the book of Acts. Let's see what happened in what we call the day of Pentecost. Chapter 2 of Acts. And what a fulfillment this is. So beginning then in verse 1. <clears throat> and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven, like as of a rushing strong wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them split tongues, like as of fire, and it sat on every one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. <clears throat> And you can continue reading that chapter later if you wish. And you'll see how the, the Spirit filled Peter. <clears throat> he stood up and gave a great message. And thousands stepped out for Jesus that day. In a sense, that was like the birth of the church. 
and the beginning of the Holy Spirit coming into people's lives and staying there. And we find the Holy Spirit very prominently involved in the spread of the gospel and in the growth of the church. Now, something very important is said about the Holy Spirit in Hebrews <coughs> chapter 9, verse 14. He is called the eternal spirit. <coughs> He's eternal. <coughs> now, that points to the fact that he is also deity. He is God. He's the eternal God. Now, if you look in Acts chapter 5, you'll find in the beginning of the chapter <clears throat> that Ananias had lied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is indicated in that passage as being, having also lied to God. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is not a lesser spirit, as it were, not just an angel, <clears throat> but he is God himself. Now the interesting thing, and this is something I had to come to understand, coming from an unbeliever to becoming a believer, I had to accept who Jesus truly is. I discovered as I studied personally the Bible that the Father, of course, is presented as God. And that the Son, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, he is presented as God. And that was the one I especially zeroed in on. But I also discovered that the Holy Spirit, he is presented as God as well. Oh, she's going to give me some water. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Sometimes water helps a little bit. Thank you, Kathy. So the Holy Spirit is seen to be God. <clears throat> the Son, the Christ, is seen to be God. And the Father is revealed as God. And yet both the Old Testament and the New Testament <clears throat> very strongly teach that God is one. So we accept these things by faith. We may not understand them, but we realize they are true. There's one God eternally revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we've seen so far several things about the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit again at the Last Supper. He said some very important things in verse 26. Let's look at that. John 14 and verse 26. But the Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things <clears throat> and bring all things to your remembrance whatever I have said to you. Now the original word, parakletos, refers to someone who comes and stands beside you, 
who represents you, who helps you, like a lawyer. And so that is, first of all, one of the great things about the Holy Spirit. He's like our lawyer, like our advocate, like our attorney. But as we look at this verse a little more fully, we discover that he's going to teach us all things. We look to the Holy Spirit to guide us to understand what the Bible truly means. Often it means very much exactly what it says. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit there is to protect us and guide us and keep us from making serious errors. And so it's very important when you study the Bible that you pray to God that he give you understanding that the Holy Spirit will fulfill this function of being a teacher. It also says in that verse that he is a comforter. Have there ever been times where you needed comfort from the God of all comfort, the Father of all, as it says in 2 Corinthians? The Holy Spirit is there to bring us comfort. Maybe a loved one has passed away. Maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe someone else who is very dear to you. You need to be comforted. And God can use other people to help. But the Holy Spirit himself can definitely bring us comfort. And so he's alongside us like a lawyer. He brings us comfort. He teaches us. And it says back in verse 26, bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I've said to you. So we find that the Holy Spirit can remind us of something we've already heard that Jesus has said, something that we've heard preached, something that we have studied in the Bible, something we become aware that Jesus has said, the Holy Spirit can remind us of that something. You experienced that, haven't you, at times? where in your life maybe there's been some decision or just as you're studying, suddenly a certain passage is really imprinted on your mind. Really, it's very important. I believe many messages I've given have started in that kind of way. He's there to teach us and to bring to remembrance things that he's said. But again, of course, the thought comes if I haven't learned those things, if I haven't read those things, how is he going to bring it to remembrance? So in a sense, that puts a lot of responsibility, does it not, upon us as well. Now, another thing that's very important about the Holy Spirit is that he brings us victory in our lives. And we've sung about that too, haven't we? Romans chapter 8 is a great passage about victory. Let's look at the first four verses. Romans 8. <clears throat> Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, what's that saying? Basically, it means we're not letting our fleshly, earthly desires control us but we're walking after the Spirit. We're letting the Holy Spirit control us. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus 
has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Did you notice that the last part of verse 4 is the same as the last part of verse (laughs) 1? Must be important. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And we get another insight as we drop down to verse 13. Romans 8, 13. For if you live after the flesh, in other words, if you give in to your sinful fleshly desires, what's going to happen? If you live after the flesh, it says you shall die. But on the other hand, if you through the spirit do put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. So what does that tell us? It tells us this Holy Spirit who indwells us as a believer is there to help us have victory over sin. If you, through the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, we have the responsibility to do that, but the Holy Spirit has the power to accomplish it. We have to be cooperative. We have to be submissive. We have to be a person of faith and trust. And then God, through the Spirit, can give us the victory. This is a tremendous verse and one that I would suggest you really be acquainted with. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. And so we certainly find victory presented there for us, do we not? Turn with me now, if you would, to Acts chapter 8. Correction, chapter 1, verse 8. Chapter 1 of Acts, verse 8. This is a very important statement about the Holy Spirit, as well as what the church is to do and what it began to do in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Here's what it said in Acts 1, 8. Jesus told them this. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Me, that's Jesus. We're to be witnesses to Jesus, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. So he said the Holy Spirit would bring them power to tell about him. They were witnesses for Jesus. We are Christ's witnesses. Power comes from the Holy Spirit to be a witness. Another very important thing about the Holy Spirit is he gives different individual various gifts. I have a bunch of verses down here on your outline where you may find some of the gifts listed. I don't believe any of them are exhaustive. The 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians tells about a lot of them. But let's look first of all at Ephesians chapter 4. 
Here's what it says in verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles. Apostle means one who is sent. And some to be prophets. That's someone who speaks for God. Sometimes involving even the future. And some to be evangelists. Those who seem to have a special gift to reach people for Jesus. Billy Graham was one such person. And some to be pastors and teachers. So these are gifts of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned here in Ephesians 4.11. I mentioned on another occasion or two that when I was in seminary, I was in our church building doing some studying, and it came to me that I had the gift of being a teacher. And I believe that's true, that God had called me and helped me to understand that he'd given me a gift to teach his word. And it turns out he called me to be a pastor as well. And I think a pastor should be able to teach the word of God. It's a great thing. And it's what we're really here for, to see what God has to say to us. And I mentioned before how that before I give a message, I, I pray about the message what God wants me to talk about. And if I truly then come with what I believe he wants me to talk about, which I believe has happened through the years, it stands to reason in one sense then that people ought to come and listen (laughs) because I believe he's talked to me to say what to teach and that therefore God has the people in mind as well. Other places, Romans 12, 6 through 8, it talks about some of the gifts. And then 1 Peter 4, 10, about everyone having received the gift. We all are gifted in some way or another. And God gets all the credit and the glory. And through the Holy Spirit, we give witness and we let Jesus and the Holy Spirit guide us and live in us. Now I come to one statement I believe is a tremendously important statement. It's found in Ephesians 5, verse 18. It tells us, don't be filled with wine, don't be filled with alcoholic drink, as it were. But instead, it says what we are to be filled with is what? The Spirit. So there's a direct command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter was filled, as I mentioned, and he gave that great message in the day of Pentecost. Later, Peter was filled. Later, God's people find fillings. They might do what God wants them to do. But actually, as you go into the Greek in that verse, Ephesians 5.18, you find something else. Perhaps the best translation is this. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit, an ongoing process. We continually yield ourselves to God. We continually trust God that we might be being filled, an ongoing process. A little bit like the blood of Christ. It says it cleanses us, an ongoing process from all sin. And by the way, if you really want to study a good deal about the Holy Spirit, 
I'd recommend one book. Billy Graham wrote many books. One of his books was called The Holy Spirit. Have any of you read that book? Probably maybe one or two of you, and I read it. It's a very inspiring and complete kind of a book. It helps us understand more about the Holy Spirit. Now, having said all that, <laughs> let's go to our primary scripture today, the book of Galatians, beginning in chapter 5 with verse 16. 516. <clears throat> then I say this, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the desire of the flesh. In other words, be controlled by the Spirit, and you're not going to be letting the flesh have supremacy. You're not going to be giving into it. You're going to be controlled by the Spirit. You're going to be being filled by the Spirit. Because the flesh lusts or desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so you see those things don't agree they don't they don't get along so that you cannot do the things that you want to do the old flesh pulls you one way but the spirit pulls you another there's an old illustration and you've heard it i suspect many of you about the two dogs. One's a white dog, one's a, a black dog. And I don't mean this in a, a racial way. <laughs> the black dog happens to be the bad dog and the white dog happens to be the good dog. And so they're gonna fight each other. Which one do you think's gonna win? Well, the answer is the one you feed the most. <laughs> Do you feed the Holy Spirit? Do you feed the spiritual nature? Do you truly live under the power of the Lord? If you want victory, you've got to be doing that. Giving your life to him. Trusting him. Believing in God and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we find quite a list of some things that we need to avoid here. called the works of the flesh. In a sense, we might also call them the fruit of the flesh, as opposed to the fruit of the spirit. What does the flesh produce? Here's what they are, and this is not comprehensive list, but <laughs> it's quite a list. Verse 19, the works of the flesh are made apparent, which are these. Adultery, that means when you're married and you have sex with somebody else. Fornication, that basically is premarital sex. It's basically saying don't shack up with somebody that you're not married to. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 Marriage is honorable in all things, and the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. 
And so as a Christian, we have a responsibility along this line to put to death the desires of the flesh. And then it goes on. Uncleanness, immorality, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery or witchcraft, hatred, variance, jealousies, wrath, strife, argumentation, sedition or divisions, and heresies, envyings, murders. Remember Jesus tells us in his word that to hate a person is actually to murder them. Drunkenness, we're commanded not to get drunk. Revelings, in our day and age we might say partyings, and such like. So he admits that this is not an exhaustive list. These are just some of the things Christians need to fight against and make use of the Holy Spirit to have victory over. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's an awful strong statement, isn't it? And so we need to really walk close to God, let him give us power to help us be being filled with his spirit, to have victory in all ways, to be witnesses, to be lights, bright lights for the Lord, shining in the world. And so these are some of the things to avoid. But then there are other things to embrace. Beginning in verse 22. But on the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit. Notice not our fruit, but God's fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. It's nine things here. But it has a unity to it. It's all the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. That's something we all need, self-control, isn't it? We need help with the tongue. <laughs> says no man can control the tongue in James. We need help in other things, self-control. And so these nine things, the ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit, are things we need to embrace, follow after, and allow the Holy Spirit to produce in our lives. And it says against such there is no law. <laughs> And they who are Christ's, it goes on to say, have crucified the flesh with the affections and desires. That's part of taking up our cross daily for the Lord. And so we find these great statements. Verse 16, walk in the spirit. And now verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. What a wonderful passage about the Holy Spirit. What a great warning to avoid the things that are displeasing and wrong. 
What a great encouragement to let the Holy Spirit control how we live and how we think. I've come to realize it's very important how we think. The thoughts that we allow to come into our minds. If we want to have victory, we need to learn to have good thoughts, positive thoughts, thoughts of faith, thoughts of God, thoughts of truth. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. How should we then live? In the spirit and his lights. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. That's quite a responsibility. <laughs> and it's quite a wonderful thing to let the Holy Spirit and the light of Jesus, who is also the light of the world, shine brightly through us and to keep polished up where the light can brightly shine through. And then it goes on to say, let us not be desirous of foolish glory, provoking one another, envying one another, where to get along. Now, I'd like to add one other thing that's not on your list there, on the outline. Go with me back to the book of 2 Corinthians. Here's a great goal, a great object to which we should press, something we should really strive for along with doing these things that we've just covered, especially walking in the spirit and being the light of the world, let us also have this as a goal. Second Corinthians 7, first verse, reading a little bit down into that verse, let us cleanse ourselves. See, we have something to do with it. From all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, not only the physical body, but the inner man, the inner person. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness. That's quite a statement. Perfecting holiness. Perfecting sinlessness. Perfecting what God wants us to be. And all it says in the fear of the Lord. We're so dependent on him. It's so important that we have this kind of victory. And so it tells us this is something we should be working on. And so at the end of this message, I would encourage us to take that as a goal, a perennial goal, a daily goal, seeking to be more like Jesus, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord, taking God's help in combating that which is wrong taking God's help and achieving that which is right, including the Holy Spirit's fruit. Well, that's a great passage, isn't it, in Galatians here, the last part of the chapter. And it helps us realize, too, when we put it with the other part of the book, that we're not saved that way. We're saved by our faith in the Lord Jesus. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And though we're imperfect, our sins are all washed away, and our salvation is in his hands, and he says he'll never leave us or forsake us. What a wonderful, wonderful promise that is, and he stands with us in the fire. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for your love. 
how wonderful you are. We don't deserve any of it, but we thank you for it, for the victory that's promised to us as we truly depend upon you and trust in you with all our hearts. Thank you for your help day by day. Thank you that you're with us in the fire, in the waters, in whatever problems, whatever sicknesses, whatever situations we may be. Thank you so very, very much. We admit we don't deserve any of it, but thank you for your grace, for your forgiveness, and your conquering love. Help us, Lord, to be being filled with your spirit. Help us to be lights and help us to truly turn away from the power of the flesh and develop holiness and the fear of the Lord. To him be all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.